Welcome to the Retail Exchange Podcast. This episode of the Retail Exchange Podcast is presented by Trust Systems. Are you a retailer looking to drive greater customer engagement through data, deliver digital transformation, streamline operational tasks, or empower store teams through technology? Then you should be talking to Trust Systems, retail specialists in managed technology solutions to accelerate your business, underpinned by intelligent networks and Wi-Fi technology. POS, payments, mobile stock management, digital signage. Think Trust Systems. To find out more, visit trustsystems.co.uk today. Hello and welcome to The Special, here on the Retail Exchange Podcast. I'm Carl McKeever. In this special episode of the podcast, recorded on stage at Retail Week Live 2021 recently, we hear from the CEOs of three major UK retail companies. Retail Week Connect's Isabel Chilman is joined by Henry Birch, Group Chief Executive of multi-brand online retailer The Very Group. John Edgar, CEO of department store retailer Fennec, and David Wood, CEO of DIY retailer Wix. Together, they look back at the key learnings they've taken as a business and personally, from retail trading during the pandemic to the future of the store and customer experience, how they see the evolution of physical and digital shopping, and why it's important for retailers to have a reason to exist. So lots to look forward to then on this episode of The Special, right here on the Retail Exchange podcast. And now, let's go over to your host, Retail Week Connect's Isabel Chilman, as she takes to the stage at Retail Week Live 2021 for this exclusive CEO roundtable discussion with Henry Birch, John Edgar and David Wood. I'm going to start with a nice easy one for the three of you. Proudest moment this year as CEO. John, start with you. Okay. It's been a, it's been a, a difficult year, obviously, for everybody. Um, I think uh, getting the shops open was pretty pretty good, pretty good start. Um, we've done lots of things, like we launched virtual windows that we'd never had to do before to a million people online, which was uh, pretty unique. We launched what's been voted as London's best vegan restaurant, which was, was great. Um, and for, for me personally, just instilling a bit of confidence in the, the team, um, taking them from pretty low position, to be honest, to uh, a place where they could believe. And I think that's, that's great. Henry, yeah. what about yourself? Um, I think you'll probably get the same answer out of all of us, which is the kind of response to the pandemic. And from my perspective, uh, proudest moment has been being part of a company that has just responded brilliantly to the pandemic. So uh, whether that was our kind of warehouse staff or our photographic studio staff who were working um, every day uh, of the pandemic or people working in our head office who had to you know, work remotely, uh, deal with things like um, educating kids from home, all of that. Um, and no, I've just been, been amazed and humbled by how people have responded um, and been kind of ingenious in terms of how they've, they've, they've tackled issues, 
um, relentless kind of positivity and just dealing with difficult circumstances. David, what about yourself? Proudest moment? Proudest moment. Um, I think reflecting on it as an industry, we should all collectively be hugely proud in terms of how we've navigated the last 18 months and continue to do given the challenges that we, we face today. Um, specifically for Wix, um, I guess our proudest moment is um, we delivered a record performance across the course of the last year, so I thank all of my colleagues for a phenomenal job done. Um, interestingly, we managed to list our business on the main market as a FTSE 250 PLC um, back in April, so getting that done sort of like, you know, in the eye of the storm was, um, was incredibly, an incredibly proud moment um, for us as a business. But I guess what makes me warmest about Pride is the fact that as we went through that process and listed the business, uh, we took the opportunity to make every single employee, every single colleague in the business a shareholder. So we're already quite a family business in how we feel as a culture, but it's just sort of like really intensified it. Um, there is a downside to that, by the way, which is now every store I go into, if not the first question, the second is, what do you think about the share price, David? <laughs> um, but uh, it's a small price to pay. <laughs> and what, I want to know what you've learned about yourselves over the past 18 months. So a lot's been said when you talk about teams in terms of, oh, actually, they learned that they were a lot more agile and they were a lot more resilient than they thought they were before. But you as leaders, what have you learned about yourselves and has, has the, the past 18 months changed your leadership style in any way? David, I'll come to you first for this one. Um, look, I think, I think the key thing that we've learned as an organisation, and, and, and we've, had, we've had the opportunity to be classed as what's called an essential retailer. So we've been open um, throughout the pandemic, but this was, um, you know, it's, it was a... You know, a pioneering effort to, to navigate a business um, through, through the pandemic. I think the key thing is communication. You cannot over-communicate in an environment like this. So talking to your colleagues constantly, taking the feedback, iterating how you're operating, sharpening things to make sure that you're continuing to, to navigate a safe, secure and su sustainable business um, through the process. So I think the number one thing for me is communication. You can't over-communicate at times like this. Henry? So I think in terms of things that I've learned about myself um, is that I get energy from people and um, actually not having people around me day to day, you know, working remotely was, was, was kind of tough. And I think a lot of people felt that. And although I you know, love my wife and kids dearly, they tend to kind of suck energy rather than create energy. Um, and I think to the, to the point about learning, I completely concur with, with David, is that one of the things that we've had to do um, is learn how to communicate in a different way. And actually, the pandemic's really opened up the, you know, the, 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 the ability to communicate um, much more frequently with many more people. So that kind of digital communication, which we've been doing, um, I was doing a, a weekly video to all our colleagues, you know, top 200 managers each week we have a meeting. So um, that bit has been, been brilliant. I think the challenge going forwards is how you combine the two. So we've got a hybrid model now where we have people on-premise but people working remotely. How you combine the two, how you com communicate kind of in person whilst communicating digitally, um, I think is the, the challenge for our business and, and, and all businesses actually. John, what about yourself? So my situation coming into the pandemic is slight, slightly different in that, you know, I started in April 2020 and we were closed. Yeah. We didn't have online, it had just been closed for some reason, and our stores were closed, and I couldn't meet anyone physically. 
Um, and there's no playbook, obviously there's no playbook generally for a pandemic, or well, there wasn't. Uh, and there certainly was no playbook then. And I think the thing I've learned is even in your lowest moments of confidence, although most of my team probably wouldn't say I lack confidence, you've got to show that leadership for people to follow you. Um, otherwise, people drop with you. So, you, you know, even when times are tough, you've got to really make sure that you're taking that leadership role and taking people with you. And I think, you know, we took the view that we were, in effect, a 140-year-old startup. And we started from scratch, and, and that's, how, that's how we got through it. And that, you know, the communication as well, absolutely key amongst that, despite it being non-physical. Yeah. Now, David, you've, uh, you've talked before about the importance of having a reason to exist as a retailer um, and how that's really ingrained into the fabric of Wix. So with that in mind, how do, you, how do you define that and ensure that all of your colleagues are along for the same ride? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, we have, um, I mean, Wix is a fascinating business, by the way, but we have a, you know, a really strong, empowering, engaging culture in the business. And we're very clear that people have to take personal responsibility. We're very, very clear about that. Um, our purpose, our why, you know, the why do we come to work every day is, is, is really simple, actually. We're, we're simply here to help the nation feel house proud. You know, whether you're hanging a shelf, painting a room, or remodeling your kitchen, we're here to help you finish that product and feel, you know, project and feel good about your home. Um, you know that 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 you live in, um, and you know we work hard every day to make sure all colleagues are connected to that. You know, it, it guides us on a daily basis. It guides how colleagues behave in stores on 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 a daily basis. Um, but I think in times of extremity, certainly that we've seen over the last 18 months, it, it's really important to be flexible around that purpose as well, because <clears throat> we had a real challenge back in sort of like March 2020, because we were given essential retail status. And while the world has been told to go home and work from home and stay at home, <clears throat> I was having to say to 9,000 colleagues, can you please come to work? So you really had to flex your purpose and make it pivotal as to why we had to come to work. And, you know, as we're being asked to stay at home, you know, effectively, um, you know, our homes became part of the, you know, critical national infrastructure. So we had to shift our purpose, which became, you know, we're here to help people keep their homes safe, secure, warm and dry. You know, the reason why you come in the morning is because that's what we're here to do. You know, it's a critical part of the national infrastructure in our homes, and we're here to keep them safe, secure, um, warm and dry. But you've got to follow that purpose up with action to engage your colleagues. You can't just carry on selling your business as you were. Um, so you need to be intentional about what you do. Um, and we did, you know, we have about 20,000 lines that we sell in our business. We broadly reduced that down to around about sort of like four or 5,000. Because we said we believe these are the essential lines that fit with an essential status for that purpose. So, again, when colleagues see that and they understand that and they're operating that model, it gives them real confidence that you're looking after them and the purpose makes sense. They have a why to come to work each morning. Henry, the next question is for you. So, in, in discussion leading up to this panel, you said that you've been continually awestruck by people's capacity to do amazing things. How do you work to bottle that energy up and make sure that it runs throughout the entire business? So I think um, a lot of that goes back to um, what David was saying in terms of um, having a clear you know, purpose that runs through the company and um, making sure that actually you, you know, celebrate 
um, uh, colleagues who display that, that, that type of behaviour. But um, to be honest, one of the things that, that we haven't struggled with actually over the pandemic is um, a, a lack of people are continuing to display that, 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 that kind of behaviour. But I think a lot of it actually comes down to having a clear purpose, communicating what that purpose is strongly, and then making sure that uh, you recognise and celebrate success uh, whenever you can. Um, but again, I think particularly in these times now where there's such a focus on labour as a scarce resource, and I think all companies are, are, are really focused on retaining their best people, mm-hmm. I think that particular element uh, has never been more relevant in terms of making sure you've got engaged, passionate, uh, purpose-driven uh, people. How do you create a culture around that then? Like, How do you create a culture that empowers your colleagues to do whatever is best for, for the customer um, so that you are retaining intelligent, talented individuals? Yeah, I think, I mean, look, we, we take a very uh, customer-centric focus and I think we've always had at the heart of our purpose, but also anyone who comes into our business, anyone who starts, it's all about, all about our customers. So, um, we were one of the first companies to open a, an on-site UX lab where we actually get customers coming in. Uh, we do call listening for um, all of our management on a regular basis. Um, and we try and kind of democratize data, customer data, in terms of rather than just having a, a kind of centralized data team, is actually putting that data at the disposal of all of our teams. So a lot of it actually you know, does come back to customer centricity, which again is linked to you know, why we're here on a daily basis, why people come to work. Absolutely. I want to talk a little bit about the future of the store. So I'm going to come to you for this one, John. So Fennec stores uh, play, play a big part in, in their communities, so, which, which obviously in turn, being more integrated in a community that your store is in, creates a better customer experience. Can you talk us through that a little bit from a Fennec perspective? Yeah, so we're really fortunate in that we've got nine shops and we're the main player, apart from Bond Street, we're the main player, main show in town in each of those locations. And we're really important in the community in many, many ways. And that could manifest itself in uh, bringing local products, especially around food and beverage, into those stores, making space available for local retailers where we can offer better deals than the high street can. Um, but, but also, and I, I feel quite strongly about this concept of the ecosystem of the high street, where, you know, we are part of a fundamental ecosystem which rely on each other, whether it's the offices, retail, leisure, food, arts, etc. And you take one of those key parts out of the ecosystem and everything else starts to, to fold in. And I think that, you know, our high streets are fading, facing quite a challenge on that basis. Yes, historically there have been too many shops and that's for many, many reasons, not just online. Um, but I think it's really important that that is maintained for social cohesion, uh, if nothing else. And yeah, we're not a charity. We've got to, you know, we've got to make money, etc. But we play a, f- a pivotable, pivotable, pivotable role <laughs> in um, in that in, in everywhere we trade, actually. And we, we, you know, we're we're fortunate. I've worked for other businesses where we've said, well, thank goodness we're a London-centric business focused on tourists. We're exactly the opposite, 
and thank goodness right now because it's actually really played into our hands. Yeah. yeah. So how do you create that ecosystem that's attractive to customers then? Well, you can't just do it on your own. You've got to have the networks with the rest of the business community in your location. And, and, and some of it you can only influence to a certain degree. Not having offices back in town centres, you know, is, is quite a serious factor at the moment. And whether they'll ever come back in the way that they were is, is questionable because I think everyone's working two or three days a week from the office and, and uh, the rest from home. So, you know, you, you just have to do your bit to recognise those trends within a town, be very, very close to the local authorities, etc. work hand in hand with different, different business districts, business improvement districts, etc., and, um, and invest. Still to come on this episode of the Retail Exchange podcast. I'm kind of a bit fed up of being told the department store model's finished. I've worked in so <laughs> many. Um, I think you've got to be true to um, what you believe in and offer, you know, the department store model works if it's differentiated um, from what's around it. So lots of stores offering the same thing just leads to a price war and a race to the bottom. The kind of mood of the country at the moment is, is, is perhaps one that is a little bit more nervous about product availability. From our perspective at the moment, um, we feel we're in quite good shape in as much as we've got more stock now than we did this time last year. Uh, from what we can see right now, we, you know, we have good availability of stock um, and I don't think people have uh, a need to panic buy. Let's take a second to thank our sponsors over at Trust Systems. We talk to retailers a lot about the struggles of bringing technology and business strategy together and the challenges that CIOs and CTOs face when doing that. Issues like driving greater customer engagement through data, enhancing the customer experience and brand loyalty by reinventing the store for the new way of shopping, connecting bricks to clicks, ensuring that networks can support the increasing number of technology touchpoints, or streamlining store operations. It's no wonder choosing the right technology partner is complex. That's where Trust Systems comes in. Trust Systems offers a range of digital, mobile, cloud solutions to drive real change quickly, and ROI in the here and now. And we know that's what retail leaders are looking for. Plus, the in-store technology Trust Systems can deliver supports sustainability targets, which is a must on any retailer's agenda. If you're asking questions about network solutions, POS and payment, mobile stock management or digital signage in your retail business right now, Trust Systems has the answer. Visit trustsystems.co.uk today to learn more. That's trustsystems.co.uk. Be sure to also download Trust Systems' latest white papers at trustsystems.co.uk slash insights today. David, still staying on the store, what, what do you see looking forward uh, as how the future of physical and digital are going to evolve? 
Yeah, that's a great question, isn't it? Um, and clearly we've seen over the pandemic, um, you know, consumer behaviour in terms of that channel shift. So we've probably had somewhere between five and ten years growth in terms of, uh, you know, digital shopping in the, in the space of the last year. Um, I tend to not separate them. I'll probably pick up on John's word there. I mean, I, you know, we run our business as an integrated ecosystem. Um, you know, of course, it's a multi-channel business, but we think more holistically about that. Um, you know, know for sure. And, and, and in terms of, you know, I almost think this bricks and mortar and digital you know, language we should toss out the window now. It's just, you, you've got to be where the customer is when they need you in terms of how, how, how you run your business. Ours, interestingly, I mean, we, we do, I do describe us as having real digital scale and capability as a business. So two thirds of our sales in our business actually come through our digital channels. Yet 98% of that fulfillment comes through the physical estate. And I guess within old money, this is where bricks and clicks are really working well together. I'm getting all of the digital growth, but not the digital dilution. It's, it's driving greater returns and superior returns through the physical estate. But that physical estate is changing, to your question. That is, it really, really is changing. We don't think of them as stores anymore. We, we describe them actually as local home improvement hubs. And the leaders of those stores are not store managers. They are real digital leaders. Um, every one of our stores, by the way, effectively has a mini Amazon out the back. You know, we're the only business that does this. All 232 stores have a mini Amazon last mile fulfillment centre out the back that delivers stuff to the local community. It's a really big part of our business. You know, we have a very big click and collect business. We have a large service business called a showroom where we'll design and fit new kitchens, bathrooms, tiling and flooring, but we have a very big digital angle to that. And our colleagues are encouraged through technology to always say yes to a customer through what we call our assisted selling model. So if you come over the door in a of a Wix, which I know Isabel does quite often actually at Penge now, I found that out this afternoon. Um, if you come over the door and we haven't got either the volume you need for the project or the range that you need, we will take you straight to what we call our Ollie system, our online in-store terminal and capture that sale. So we'll get that sale and we'll get that product to you the following day. So we use digital in a physical estate to, to great means that we can always say yes to the customer, but we don't think of them as physical stores. You know, they're much more integrated than that. The ecosystem is integrated um, in terms of right the way through the proposition to the customer, right the way through using digital to run the business efficiently, and then critically, you know, using data to actually communicate and, uh, you know, and, and reward customers um, in terms of an effective manner through that as well. I want to talk a bit about values, something that's become of significant importance for senior leaders in all industries, but especially in the retail sector. So according to the, uh, the recent Edelman Trust Barometer, 86% of people expect CEOs to speak out on societal issues. Where are you on that journey as leaders and where would you like to get to? John, I'll start with you. So, frankly, we're quite early on in that journey. Um, we have a, a family business of 140 years, still family owned. So we um, really feel strongly about traditional family values and we try to impart that in how we run our business, and increasingly so. But in terms of um, the wider ethical approach to how we source product, we, we've got a long way to go. Yeah. And uh, I think we'd be naive if we said we're going to be you know, the best in class next year. I think to pick up on a previous point, you've got to set goals. 
but we're just right at the start of that process. I think a business like ours, which is multi-brand, is a little bit more complex as well. The supply chains are just so much further and a little bit further out of your hands, so those things are, are difficult. Um, we also have a long way to go in diversity and inclusion as well, and, and we recognize that. So we're realistic in what we can achieve, but it's very much front and center of what we're trying to do. Henry, what about yourself? Yeah, I think, look, I think we have made a lot of progress over the last few years, but we have got a long, a long way to go. And I think, you know, to your point, I think uh, customers, consumers are increasingly attracted to brands that they trust, and that trust is built on, you know, kind of companies doing the right things. I think they also, though, can um, determine when a company is trying to uh, kind of retrofit social purpose or kind of masquerade as something that they're not. So I think there is a real need to do things for the right reasons and do it with, you know, a kind of genuine uh, kind of passion and purpose. Um, we've done a lot um, in terms of sustainability. All of our sites now use renewable energy. Um, we take, took a million miles off the road in terms of opening up our, our new warehouse last year. And we've done a lot on sustainability, sorry, on um, diversity and inclusion. Um, but I think we've got a long way to go. And David? Uh, well, firstly, I'm, I'm delighted to hear that nearly nine out of ten people expect CEOs to speak out on societal issues. I, I think it's really important because <clears throat> typically I feel that when we think about broad social change, um, we look to government, don't we, <clears throat> to do that. But the, but the truth is governments are quite transitory, whereas businesses, and many of the businesses that I'm sure you work uh, in, in, in here today have been here for many years. I mean, I'm in a business that's been running in the UK for half a century. I'm sure a lot longer, a little less I know. Um, but, you know, businesses are here, are here, for, for, here for the long term. Um, I think a really important value, though, is one of partnership in terms of how we solve some of these societal issues. And I'll, and I'll use one that's quite close to me in the industry we're in, which is the concept of decarbonising, you know, our homes. Um, you know, because it, it accounts for around about 25% of our carbon footprint, the residential sector in the UK. Um, the average age of a home in the UK is 70 years old. Um, and we've got 30 million of them. You know, in, in 2050, 85% of that housing stock will still be here. So it's a big job to retrofit um, the nation. And if you said it's going to cost a roundabout, and I don't know, I'm plucking this number out of the air, so like 30, 35 grand a house to, to refit, that's a trillion pound bill that we've got to get our arms around. So I think my key value here really is we can't do this alone. We've got to start organising ourselves in partnership to tackle some of these broader societal changes. We can't leave it at the doors of government. We can't leave it at the doors of just enterprise. We've got to work together and work out how we break down these things into meaningful steps and, and move forward together, I feel. John, the original Fennec is rightly a Newcastle institution and always innovating. As other department stores struggle, what one tip would you give them? One tip? Um, so, I'm kind of a bit fed up of being told the department store model's finished. I've worked <laughs> in so many. Um, I think you've got to be true to um, what you believe in and offer, you know, the department store model works if it's differentiated um, from what's around it. So, lots of stores offering the same thing just leads to a price war and a race to the bottom. So you've got to differentiate yourself in, in that. 
in that environment. And if you're able to do that with um, other things that allow people to enjoy the place that you operate, whether that's food and beverage, whether that's events, etc., then marry that with great service, what we call hospitality, and I don't mean food, I mean, you know, welcome people as if you would welcome them into your house, then I think you've got a, a recipe for success. Then you've got to get the right product to sell and, and, and at the right price. So, uh, but that doesn't mean to say you should be, you know, differentiated on everything. You've just got to offer something that you can't get anywhere else, whether that's service, whether that's product, or whether that's the overall environment. And I think that's why the department store model works. We were the first marketplaces. We were a physical marketplace. And that's what people love buying online in marketplace ways. So um, we're lucky because we don't have lots and lots and lots of them. It's, it works in our advantage. So the other tip I'd give is be choosy where you trade. Thank you. What would you like to see as the future for business rates? Anyone want to tackle that one? <laughs> Probably more relevant to you, David, than to me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, look, I, th I think it's really well trailed, isn't it, that the perhaps the current rental system doesn't reflect the realities uh, uh, in terms of yeah how we'd like to see things how we'd like to see things uh, going forward. Um, look, I'm, I'm not a fan of introducing new taxes, though. Um, I think that can add a lot of complexity and confusion into the economy and how businesses operate. Um, I think if you're to address rates in the way that most of the industry would like to see rates uh, reduced, um, I think you've got to look to uh, you know, other tax methodologies that exist, exist today to compensate that if you've got to square the circle. So perhaps corporation tax, for example. You know, it's widely understood we can use that to sort of like square that circle. But look, at the end of the day, the Treasury has to make this a zero-sum game. Um, I wouldn't be a fan of reinventing new taxes into new channels uh, to make that happen. I think we've got a suite of, 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 of tools and levers we can use today to square that circle. Henry, I'm going to give you the next question. Do you anticipate Christmas product shortages? And if so, how do you plan to navigate them? So, look, I think it... it um, I was amused that um, uh, Oliver Dowden, the government minister, the other day said... Uh, uh, there's no reason to panic about buying toys. And what we saw uh, the last few days is toys flying off our virtual shelves and people panic buying toys. So I think uh, the kind of mood of the country at the moment is, is, is perhaps one that is a little bit more nervous about product availability. From our perspective at the moment, um, we feel we're in quite good shape in as much as we've got more stock now than we did this time last year. And we've opened a new warehouse, um, which is connected by rail to the port of Liverpool. So I think, uh, I think one thing is sure, that the next few months is unpredictable. And I think there are supply, supply chain issues. You know, I'd be lying if I said that, that, that there weren't. Um, but uh, from what we can see right now, we, you know, we have good availability of stock. Um, and I don't think people have uh, a need to panic buy. Good news, excellent. <laughs> what is your call to action to the audience? Henry? 
Um, I think probably a more unified industry, kind of coalescing around uh, issues that affect the whole industry. I think the, the BRC, the British Retail Consortium, do a brilliant job, but they, you know, Helen Dickinson there, it's like herding cats for her. I think, actually, if we could identify things that unify us, that um, are good for the whole sector and focus on those, um, I think that's something which I think we should, we should do. David? Well, look, mine's just one for the audience. Just make sure that when you get up tomorrow, you know why you understand what your purpose is and that you're, you're motivated to get on and do what you do on a daily basis. Um, and good luck. Thank you so much, John, Henry and David. Thank you. Thank you, Isabel. That's all we have time for on this episode of The Special here on the Retail Exchange podcast. My special thanks to Retail Week Live 2021 for making this episode possible. To Retail Week Connects, Isabel Chilman, and to her onstage guests, Henry Birch, Group Chief Executive of multi-brand online retailer, The Very Group. John Edgar, CEO of department store retailer, Fennec. And David Wood, CEO of DIY retailer, Wix. Also to you for listening. Be sure to stay tuned for more episodes coming soon from the Retail Exchange podcast as we welcome Pets at Home, Bravissimo and Box Park, to name a few, as future guests on the interview series. But for now, I've been Carl McKeever. Thanks for listening. This episode of the Retail Exchange podcast was brought to you in association with Trust Systems, Retail specialists in managed technology solutions to accelerate your business, underpinned by intelligent networks and Wi-Fi technology. POS, payments, mobile stock management, digital signage. Think Trust Systems. Visit trustsystems.co.uk today to learn more. You've been listening to the Retail Exchange Podcast. Subscribe online at theretailexchange.co.uk and join the debate on Twitter, hashtag retailexchange. Thanks for listening.